Hi, this is Neil Malonsaw with Twyla After Show. I am here with a fine group of people today. On my right is Twyla co-host Kristen Oaks-White. On my left, co-producer and partner in crime, Carl Wiggers. And joining us is Jennifer Finley, because we are having a Field to Feast week this week. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Um, we're going to talk briefly about what's on the show this week. Avery Davidson has uh, the Jack Dillard profile. He is going to talk to a columnist, formerly of the Shreveport Times, but we sort of kind of recruited him when they dropped him. So it's uh, it's a great story, great little profile of a guy who has an institution in northwest Louisiana. Also, Avery goes out to the Rice Field Day to talk about that. Rice is, you know, certainly going through some trying times right now, but LSU is coming up with all kinds of innovations to help them out. And Tammy Arinder is going to be on the show. She is profiling the special Specialty Producer of the Year, as chosen by the Northeast Agribusiness Council up there. And finally, my story is going to be on uh, the realities of hemp. During convention, I talked to this guy, Joseph Sisk, who came in to speak, and uh, he kind of had this, my my sort of slug is, bringing the hemp reality back down to earth. And uh, he had a lot on that to say. He's a grower for four years up in Kentucky. And it does have hemp does have a lot of promise. They were they're talking somewhere in the neighborhood between forty and fifty thousand dollars per acre that a lot of farmers are making, which is ten or even a hundred times uh, the value of many crops here in Louisiana. But there's a downside just starting out the gate. Sis told us that it was ten to twelve thousand dollars for seed genetics alone. You haven't even been growing stuff yet, and you're you're already spending at least a quarter, if not almost half, uh, right up front. I remember last week we also talked about fungus and, you know. Yeah, he, I mean, he brought up some things that I'm I'm sure if you've got rose-colored glasses on and you're just thinking about a new, a new crop that could bring a lot of profit, those are things I didn't think about. And that's what Kyle McCann mentioned that he said he's, there, there's no approved fungicide, pesticide, herbicide for that crop yet. And that he said they're having major fungal issues in Kentucky. And Kyle said, if you think you got fungal problems in Kentucky, then. My God, in Louisiana. (laughs) (laughs) One one thing he talked, Sis talked about during his presentation was, is that, and it's something you don't really think about with a lot of other crops, but you have to have female plants for hemp plants because those are the ones that have the highest CBD oil content. He grows for CBD, not for um, fiber or that other stuff. But he said, like, if you don't have the right sourcing and there is no standardization for the sources for the seed, then you grow 50 percent male, 50 percent female. Well, right there, half your crop is gone before you even started the year. You have to pull them up and put them out. So you're already spent twelve thousand dollars. Half of that is already gone. I mean, it's just it's it's a lot of money. But I think his point was it's high risk. You talked about you know him getting into the CBD market. Right. How long is that? How long has hemp been? I know it replaced the tobacco market in Kentucky. How long has right. that been a, a a crop there that they've been growing? He's been doing it for four years, but I, I think he's like at the cutting edge of it. I think it's like somewhere between four and six years. So that the stuff my, has my, been started. My follow up to that is how long for that production, the the processing side of that. How long does it take for that to all kind of catch up? Where is that coming from? Where is, where is he sending his hemp to be processed for CBD? Well, he they have they've had to have they've had people from out of state come in and do contract work and ask him, request him to grow stuff. So lining up that end is one of the things that he talked about, and that is going to be something he said we'll see in Louisiana now that all of this is in line and legalized, except for regulations. 
they're going to we're going to start seeing a lot of people wanting us to grow. We've already gotten phone calls. We've gotten here phone calls here at Twyla as you know, wanting to promote that stuff. Already. I'm assuming that you have to have some sort of specialty license to you grow do. either one of these. Did he mention he did? And they talked that's about be a cost, too, that you don't figure in 250 bucks. So uh, already minimal right there. Okay, Um, and that's that's the that's according to the Louisiana legislature. And that's not according to him. I read about this earlier today that that's part of this legislative package that it's capped it off at two hundred fifty. But I think there's another five hundred dollar fee for something else. So I mean, there's some there's some fees in there, and and you know when we start talking about per acre, it's it's a lot. It's quite a bit of a price difference from a farmer I talked to who's growing which I guess it's recreational right. marijuana in California, The just the license to produce it, not the seed, not the mm-hmm. land, nothing, was a million dollars. Good Lord. So, yeah, that's something that, I mean, I went to the different. ag leadership, our ag leadership class went to California, and that's one of the things that blew my mind was the cost to play over in, in California with you know environmental regulations they have water. to keep up with. Water is a big issue. Um, but one of the farmers we talked to, just to build a road on the side of his on a, on a hillside on his farm land they owned, well, it was like a half million dollars of of research and studies that had to be done to see if it was what kind of impact it was going to make on the environment. Which, you know, it's I mean, it's just it's it's so foreign to what we do here because we have, you know, I think a pretty laxed not laxed but a uh, you know a, a farmer friendly environment here with uh as far as the EPA and environmentalists uh, here. so But back to hemp, though, the reason I was asking about processing is that's one of the things, like, you think about cotton, you have gins. And, I mean, we have fewer now than we did a decade ago, but we have elevators for grain. Right. You know, where does the all infrastructure this go? It's and that's a big thing. It's it's a great wild west. A lot of opportunities there, but we've got to build everything from the ground up. And people forget there are pitfalls. I mean, when you can know that you can have trucks available, drivers available, mills available, gins available, all of that stuff makes farming a lot easier than you think. Because if you didn't have that stuff, then where would you go? You you wouldn't be growing all that stuff. So for him, for Sisk, I mean, clearly he grows it. He's been growing it for four years. He makes a good bit of money on it. The thing that Kristen and I talked about on the set is that what about the FDA in regards to CBD? I mean, at some point they could come in and they could say, hey, here's your license and you can do it. It's great. But they could also come in and say the opposite. Then what? What if they come out with a study that says it's hazardous? Then you've gotten you've put in twelve thousand dollars an acre that's gone. But you're you know? looking at two different. We're going to have to have two different types of processing facilities because right. you've you've got the CBD oil, which is a different ball game than mm-hmm. the industrial hemp, hemp. which is the fiber. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And that I can't even where do you even start to talk about pr- taking that and turning it into paper, plastic, all the different things that you can do with that. Construction materials. Right. And we've tried the the thing that makes me wary about um, about the fiber end of it is that we've tried to do that stuff before with bagass, the byproduct of sugarcane. We've done it with we've tried to make boards out of it, we've tried to make paper, we've tried to make building materials, whatever. And it's just never seemed to really kind of pan out for the sugar industry. And hemp's of course a different crop, but you know, what's it, it, it? I think the big thing with all of that with with bag ass has been the startup money to, to develop infrastructure. I think you're facing the same kind of thing with hemp, especially because the fiber end of it is less 
monetary wise than the CBD end of it's it, which is where the lot big smaller money is. margins. Correct. Man, it's it's, it's wild. I, I haven't gotten into the CBD craze. I mean, I don't. It, you see it out there. I know there there are some people that are. I don't even know what what do you what 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 are the medical. Is there research? Uh, where is the benefit medically? Everything speaking? apparently. Right, and, and that's <laughs> that. That's part of it. Is that um, the anecdotal end of it is that it has anti-inflammatory properties, and that's been the big thing. Is something it acts something like a leave, like a leave, where it it has, uh, you know, it relieves pain, but it does so without a leaves or or that um, naproxen sodium. Helps you sleep. Uh, right. It, but it. Uh, Aleve affects your liver and kidney functions, so, so it has a more that. natural. Right, aleve. it's it's more it's just non-interactive besides besides that because it has a different active ingredient that, hmm. that really makes it there. One thing he did did talk about was is that he's left crops. He's seen plants there grow for two years and they never ever exceeded the THC content that was there. So that's one thing that should be really interesting to see if it holds true. Is that um, uh, you know the the it may be the THC threat has been overstated. Yeah, that's one of the big discussions I heard in during the legislative session was it's got to be harvested before it hits X you know point in the process because you can't let it start to develop this THC. But if it can go a couple years, he's I mean, saying it doesn't. So it doesn't. It, but we'll. It's the same plant. The one that produces CBD and THC is the same variety. Correct. No, not as as I understand it. It, it's different. It's a different um, uh, sat of a plant. Um, but, uh, and that's what I'm saying is that, you know, he says it. they both, it, it's different varieties. That's part of the reason that genetics is so expensive in that is to ascertain whether or not you've got a hemp producing CBD oil intensive plant versus a marijuana plant. Something the with hallucinogenics and right. stuff like that. Yep. It's yep. an interesting topic. I know that's one of the, that, difference you're talking about. I remember being one of the things that was such a, a struggle for lawmakers that were pro-industrial hemp yeah. back during uh, the legislative session was educating on the difference in like the medical marijuana, which is also being talked about right now in the mm -hmm. Capitol. And which is a separate hemp. issue. We should totally out, separate right? issues. Yeah. And that's what it's just it's they're so close, yet they're so far away kind of thing. It's right. It's, it makes it really complicated and hard to Hard to kind of wrap your head around. Yep. Well, something that isn't quite as complicated is the field to feast segment. Mm. And Jennifer, thanks for joining us and being patient with our our hemp conversation Absolutely. here. Absolutely, very interesting. Uh, I got the privilege of going with you. Thank you very much for inviting me to so. You're Sobu. welcome. And uh, we of course brought along Amelia Kent, who is a cattle producer there in Tangipahoa, and we all before 9 a.m. had quite a meal, didn't we? We did. Field to Feast is really about showing off these local Louisiana ingredients. And um, in this particular case, Tori and I got on the phone. We knew that Louisiana beef was going to be the profile of the day. And uh, we just started going back and forth. You know, what is it that you'd like to do, like to see? And uh, I think we both were using the word sexy. We wanted the sexy side of beef. And so the emojis <laughs> we were using had the uh, little red dress, kind of like you have on, and the steak. And so it was, you know, we're going to do sexy beef. So he did this tomahawk chuck, tomahawk cut rib, uh, beef ribeye roast. And it was gorgeous. Oh, it was gorgeous. It must have been over 30 pounds. And, and when we cut it, it was over three pounds. And that chef Tori McPhail, who is a rock star in the culinary scene, if you don't know, in New Orleans, he's uh, over there at Sobu, but he's also at Commander's Palace. How are they connected real quick? 
So uh, it, they're trying. Sobu is the little sister, the Caribbean little sister of um, Commander's Palace. Okay. So the same owners, and they. It's right there. It's called uh, Sobu because it means south of Bourbon, and it's in uh, on the bottom of the W Hotel right there. Um, and it's just, it's really neat. It's exposed brick and it's got cool lighting. Um, but they wanted it to be more of a Louisiana street food type restaurant. So it's still got that, um, those great ingredients. Um, it's still got the phenomenal cooks and chefs in the kitchen. Um, but it's a little bit more relaxed, um, and they do have, like, Commander's has that famous jazz brunch where you put your hat on and you get all dressed. Uh, Sobu, on the other hand, has that fantastic burlesque. They call yeah, it Legs and Eggs. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Bella Blue, uh, who Neil knows, um, <laughs> is very Neil? Fan- <laughs> I know. Neil? Another podcast, another day. I'm from New Orleans. I, you know, you hang out with burlesque dancers from when you're Neil, from down do you there. Have a confession to make. I, I do not. No, we are just friends. I, I, you know, I, 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 in fact, I've only met her really once, and then that's it. But uh, it's, you they're, never they're, forget when you've met her. Yes, exactly. And it is. You I mean, I guess if you want it's 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 classy uh, kind of stuff. If you're into that that sort of thing, it's very high end, and and they're very professional, very skilled dancers. Uh, and it's and it's a what I want to say about that is that it's a it's a cultural product of New Orleans that many many people come to the city for you know just like our food is very well known for this is one of those you know uh, people come to New Orleans for a little bit more edge and this is part of it and it does so I think in a I think maybe Jennifer you might have a different input or the same idea but it's tasteful. It's it's tasteful. It's fun. It's fabulous. It leaves you with uh, Ella Brennan and T and Lally always say uh, we're in it to create dining memories. You know, so it's not about a meal. It's not not about going to get a piece of steak. It's about leaving with the entire package. And you feel that way from the service to what's being served to you um, to what's entertaining you while you're while you're eating. And um, all of their restaurants have always been like that. And Tori, of course, is is a huge proponent of it, but he's just a fantastic, fabulous Caribbean type chef himself. So I really you, embraces it. I heard something that was very interesting that I think a lot of people don't know and that you learned there why they call it the tomahawk steak. I so I he kept telling me that we were going to um, do a tomahawk cut, and I, it was a lot to, to say in the open, a tomahawk cut beef ribeye roast, and I kept saying, ooh, did I say that right? And so when he took this huge slab of beef, which literally, it was so beautiful, and then he did these gentle cuts through the meat, and it, it, it was like he was cutting through butter. It, right. The knife just went straight through, and when it fell to the side and we looked at it, it looked just like the Atlantic. Atlanta Braves tomahawk. tomahawk and so I went oh I finally get it <laughs> and it was it and it was while. that tender it was beautifully marbleized it it really has an interesting tie to Amelia who does custom beef to Contreras and one of the things that they advertise in Contreras is that they can do those cuts that grocery stores don't do anymore that you can only find in butcher shops and that I I 
Jennifer back me up on this, that tomahawk, when he brought it out, I mean, I've never seen anything like that. It was just such a they visually arresting. Yeah, yes. With, served with the bone. He had a green aioli sauce with it. Is that right? And it um, it, it was a chimichurro sauce. It was so delicious. And a sweet potato, uh, regular potato casserole, um, au gratin, au gratin. He was saying it all fabulous because the whole day was fabulous. Um, and speaking of fabulous, Amelia was wowed. She said it was her favorite piece of beef that she had ever tried and that she was well, wishing everybody coming to her. Is. Um, my new BFF. I can't, I mean, I literally cannot wait to just go spend some time um, out at the ranch with her because hanging out with strong, beautiful, interesting women that are in it to win it and so passionate about what she does and what it means and what she stands for. Oh, I have goosebumps again. It's the the combination to have a chef who feels that way about the food and a producer who feels that way about the food and just kind of being the uh, like Wimbledon's on right now watching the tennis match. It was just a, it was it was a superstar reaction. It was really cool. And you can see it in the package. It comes across their connection because, I mean, there's a person who made it and there's a person who puts it on the plate. And there's just so much to talk about there. And, and of course, Amelia does a fantastic job on social media presenting her story and how she wrangles all of this. She's got a fantastic disaster story. I, I say fantastic, but what I mean is her it, – it, it's terrible what happened to her, but her perseverance, her push through to get – to where she is today is just amazing. Well, I, I, I love Amelia, too. I think we all have probably shot a story. I know we yeah, all three we all have, have shot have, a story. Yeah. Now four of us have all shot a story with Amelia. And, uh, her and Russell are really fun to work with. But back to the Commander's Palace or Sobu, can I go get one of those? Tom- is that a regular item on their menu? No, so we were doing a specialty cut meat, but they have, then they were serving the rest of it. And so it was, um, the, it was you, on the menu. It was on the menu. Oh and that's the big thing that Tori's been talking about, which is really cool with this field to feast and these farmer relationships is, especially when Tori's going out in the field with me and meeting all these people. They're working to get these relationships together, and then he's naming his dishes on the on the menu, on Commander's menu, on Sobu's menu, their name and what it is. And he's he's finding that when he does that, when uh, he goes around and greets the table and things like that, people are asking them specifically, and he's then telling the farmer's story. And so it's this beautiful relationship that has so many legs and legs, <laughs> like mm. Bella's legs. They go on and on and on and they just have all these touch points but there's there's passion and there's admiration um and there's just so much kindness i i feel like with with all of those key ingredients um you know we've just got something that's going to work forever here in louisiana between our chefs and our farmers i think that we do that aspect better than any other state we know how to connect the dots customers are hungry for that Absolutely. They want to know where their food comes from. They want to know the story behind it. And if he's one step ahead of that, by giving, even if they don't ask about it, you know, giving it a name, that's excellent. Absolutely. And you need to come with us next time. And then you're guaranteed to be able to have what it is <laughs> we're eating. Well, I, I wanted to ask, I'm, I'm kind of hijacking this because I'm curious now. So you've cooked or you've gone and shot six of these. I think actually seven. There's another one you've eight. already shot. Eight. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. So. How many of these have you actually tried to cook on your own at the house? 
Uh, most of them. Really? Now, if I have access to them, I and I. The funny thing was, I, after I would edit, I, before I even sent it to you guys, I will take my laptop, bring it in the kitchen, and then I will take my edited copy of the piece and make sure that if I watched it, I could make it in my own kitchen. So I'll oh, go out cool. and get all of the that's ingredients. Cool. I'll go to Rouse's and because they sell or you know whole. Food, a lot of people will sell some of these local ingredients, and I always go to our farmers market. I was there this morning morning, um, getting all sorts of stuff for the 4th of July. I got the very last watermelon. I was running a little <laughs> bit late. Oh, woof. But I will go gather all of these ingredients, or I'll take them back from the farms where we visit, and then I'll edit my piece, and then I'll get all of my little stuff moved to my kitchen, and then I'll make sure that it makes sense at home, because it's really important to Tori. It's really important to the other chefs that I work with, um, but it's super important to me that we're not talking over people's heads, that these are feasible restaurants recipes for you to do at home that makes me think of something that we need to be doing on our end on the field to feast page we need to have the see if we can get the recipe typed up we do. We uh, we send some of them. That is funny that this is coming up here because I will tell you the very hardest thing to do uh, is get a recipe from a chef after one of these. And the reason say. being is because they're not using a book. They are. I mean, when they, they get do in it by there, uh, yes, and it is it is a touchy feely. And it's a lot of tasting. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to weigh 500,000 pounds by the time <laughs> I finish this series. But they're taste, 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 taste. And then they'll they'll move around. So I don't think they necessarily want to put that to paper. And that's why I make sure that. Scratch you know, that idea. <laughs> well, that you can actually watch it and do it. But it's so important at home that if you feel like you need a little bit more seasoning or if you need a little bit of butter in that or if you need it really is um, about your own palate right. as well. So you get in there, you have a groundwork, a basis, but then you go play. Yeah. It's almost like more than learning how to read the recipe, you're learning how to cook right. the items. And then yeah. you can kind of put your own and spin on it. And enjoy the kitchen yeah. and these fresh local Louisiana ingredients. Speaking of, I'm sorry, That's I'm jumping. Okay. We're back, back to the rice field day. Okay. Something else that happened that day was we got another sponsor, and that's the rice. Uh, was it Louisiana Rice? Louisiana Rice. Marketing Louisiana Rice Marketing Association right. is now one of the sponsors for Field to Feast. Yay. So now look we can, out for some rice recipes. We, are, we already use rice in <laughs> most, most rice. of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we have another mm-hmm. sponsor, another. Uh, 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 commodity group that sees the value in in what you're doing out there. So thank you for that. Um, Thanks for keeping. But me. it's really it's really cool to see you know people's reactions. What what have you? What's your favorite? Have you have you talked to people that have seen your stories or have you heard feedback from? I, I know have, you've heard feedback from well, chefs. Well, we mentioned Coutreers, which was interesting, and it's probably one of my favorite stories to date because, I, as I said, I go to the farmers market a lot. And it's interesting for me to be a, a local celebrity at the farmer's market. But it's not, you know, it's it's because the farmers come out from their booths and say hello to me and thank me because they I'm using a lot of these and I try and profile as many as we can. And they're loving it. And so I walked into Coutreers and they had been a part of one of our farmer's market shows. And he came up to me and he goes, um... Yeah, I haven't seen the piece yet, but uh, we came in this morning and had it had just aired right before it. And he said, um, we had more to offer today than we've ever had. And we sold out within two hours. And there was a certain salami that I had tried and I had looked at the camera and tasted it and said, this is so 
delicious. And the next thing I he was like, well, that makes perfect sense because I was out of that in 30 minutes. So people are watching, people are enjoying it, but the farmers are appreciating it. And that's kind of my favorite story is that it's working. And that word to mouth is what creates demand. And I think when people really taste that difference, then they will demand more and more of that kind of thing. And our farmers will grow it. I mean, part of the reason, you know, we don't see more of that is that the farmers have to go where the market is. They have to make a living. They have to feed their their families every single day. And so as that market expands, it'll be great for both you, the consumer at home, and for them out there in the field. Jennifer, thanks so much coming in. You, you did make one huge mistake. <gasps> you mentioned that you cooked some of this stuff, so now we're going to start demanding that you get oh! I'm still behind the scenes, Chef. No, I, I, I get it. Thank you so much for coming in. Carl, Kristen, thank you both for your, your help. I want to wish everybody a happy 4th of July. Join us again next week where we'll be talking about grocery store prices and not burlesque dancers. I'm Neil Malalsal. Thanks for joining us on Twilight After Show. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and even share it with a friend or two. Also, if you liked it, go ahead and leave us a review. Tell us what you think about the show. What would you like to hear more of? What do you not like that much? That's okay to hear, too. The Twyla After Show podcast is brought to you by the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. Louisiana Farm Bureau is the voice of Louisiana agriculture. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you again right here next week.